All right, so Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 12. Follow along with me if you would. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst... The pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. God spoke these words through the prophet Isaiah to his people Israel. They were true then and they were true for them. And I tell you today, these words are true for us in 2023. So take four or five minutes, read the passage to yourself. And when the time's right, uh, we'll start the discussions. Isaiah 58. Uh, Open your Bibles, please. I want you to see the text as I read. Check it out. We're actually, I'm going to start in verse one. I'm going to quickly go verses one through five. So Isaiah 58, verse 1. These are God's instructions to his prophet Isaiah. This is what he wants Isaiah to do with the people. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob their sins. Please note the nature of prophetic ministry. Our Lord Jesus was a prophet. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. We are a prophetic people. Cry aloud. The word of the Lord does not go forth quietly. Amen. Don't hold it back. Amen. Right? Lift up your voice like a trumpet. So trumpets are to be heard. Right? If you went to a Gates County football game and the halftime show went out there, and they're walking around with their instruments and you didn't hear anything, something will be wrong, right? The church has been like that way too much, right? Right. Doing a halftime show, playing their instruments, but can't nobody hear. 
We're going to do, we're doing something about that. Amen. Amen. All right. So declare to my people their transgression. The nature of prophetic ministry is that you call people out of sin. It doesn't matter if it's your brother and sister in Christ across the room from you today, or your congressman, or your neighbor, or your coworker. We lovingly, prophetically declare transgression. This is the nature of the prophetic voice, and this is what Isaiah is doing in this passage. Let's look at verse 2. Here we see Isaiah's indictment. Yes, Green. Here, bring me the other one. Well, you know what? Bring me the other one if they need it in the nursery, please. Here, I'll keep this one with me. Thank you. All right, verse 2, we have the indictment. I'm going to try to preach while untying a knot. <laughs> verse 2, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. So here is the indictment. My people are acting very, very Religious. See there in verse 2, as if they were a nation that did righteousness. This was external religion with no, uh, authentic, with, with no real life in the heart. They're asking God for things. But verse 3, they've got issues with the Lord. God, we're doing all of this wonderful stuff for you. We fasted for you, and you, you don't notice me. Sounds like a spoiled rotten kid, amen? Amen. Why have we fasted? You see it not. Who are they fasting for? Are they fasting for the Lord? There's an application here. I'm not going to go down this road very far. Is our worship for you, or is our worship... Or I'm sorry, is your worship for you, or is your worship for the Lord? There is a temptation that American Christians, especially American Christians, because there's such a celebrity kind of thing going on within the broader general Christian culture in our nation. But, but we can make, we can look for this feeling in worship and feel like we can't worship until we get that feeling. Anyway, not going far down that road. So, verse 3, why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? All right. What's the nature of humility? If you're humbling yourself, are you going to be okay if no one notices? <laughs> yes! Absolutely. This is ridiculous, okay? Behold, look, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. Okay, 
The nature of fasting is self-denial. Amen? Amen. They're not denying themselves. They're approaching God on a transactional basis. God, I'm going to fast for you, do this religious activity for you, but I'm really going to just go after what I want. So, so look, the last part of verse 3 and verse 4, we see what they're not denying themselves. They're actually indulging in things that don't belong to them. They are taking, they're, they're, they're guilty of stealing. Thou shalt not steal. They are stealing. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. They're not doing that. There at the end of verse 4, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You're not seeking the pleasure of the Lord. You're not seeking the pleasure of other people, but your own. You oppress all your workers. And that can take a thousand different forms. Amen? Verse 4, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Verse 5 pretty much means this is not fasting. Is such the fast that I choose, this pathetic, selfish, man-centered, transactional, works-based fasting? Is this the fast that I choose? God says no. A day for a person to humble himself. He's not talking about true humility. He's talking about this false humility that they have. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? You will call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord. You all, fasting is to be the purest, most genuine, authentic form of self-denial and seeking after the Lord. It's very difficult to deny yourself. Amen? Amen. I highly recommend the practice of fasting. It has been a part of my life. Uh, it, it, it's hard. Uh, sometimes it goes better than others. Um, it can be a very rich and deep experience. But... This true, pure form of self-denial so that you can taste and see the Lord so much better as you're not tasting other things. This pure, worshipful form of self-denial was not the type of fasting that these people were doing. They were going after selfish gain. and There was no denial of the self. So we get to our passage today. We get to verse 6. This is the fast that God desires. What type of fasting does God want? He wants this type. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. You all, this is self-denial. This is the call of the Lord upon us. It has been, it is, it will be. The needs of others. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness? Y'all, God wants us to set somebody free. Amen. There's a lot of oppression. It takes many different forms. God has called us to loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. I almost brought a yoke in here today. I've, I've, every once in a while the word yoke comes up in my sermons. 
And um, I always said, man, I got to find one of those. I know some, I know there's one in somebody's barn here in Gates County. There's probably a thousand yokes in this county buried under something. Amen. Amen. So uh, a few weeks ago, I was at my grandma's shelter and I, a few months ago and I saw one. And I was going to go there this morning and pick it up and my morning didn't go the way it wanted to. So I didn't bring it in. What is a yoke? A yoke is this big, heavy piece of wood that you would secure two oxen to. And there would be straps or ropes on this yoke, and you could control the oxen. So some of you have probably seen yokes in, uh, in action. I haven't. So, so forgive me if I don't embrace all of the imagery just right. But... When a yoke is placed upon an animal, it restricts them heavily, and they are controlled. And there are people in our world today that God is calling us to who don't have the freedom that God wants them to have. Because someone more powerful than them is oppressing them. We need to undo the straps of the yoke. They are tied with leather belts, and they can't get away. It might be a woman in an abusive relationship. It might be a migrant worker. It might be a tenant with a bad landlord who's paying $900 for a trailer that ain't worth 50 a month. It takes many different forms. All right, so to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Y'all know Jesus turned over tables, right? He got kind of rough with people sometimes, right? It's okay to do that for the Lord in the right way. Sometimes God's people need to break something that needs to be broken. Amen? Amen. So God, verse 6, God's calling us to set someone free. The word yoke in the Bible, we see that there are positive uses and there are negative uses. Sometimes when we see the word yoke, God says, don't be yoked together. Like don't marry an unbeliever. If you're married to an unbeliever, that's a different situation. But if you're a Christian, don't choose to marry an unbeliever. Don't have association or partnership with false gods or too close of an association with immoral people. So we are to break the yoke and set people free The Bible does say that you are to be yoked to the Lord. So that is one way that the word yoke is used in a positive sense. But here, the word yoke is used in a negative sense. And the command to us is to break the yoke, to set them free. You all, we are to be a fierce people who are ready to fight when called upon. Please don't be the type of Christian that's always looking for a fight. But just walk with Jesus. And when you see something that needs to be destroyed in the name of Jesus, destroy that thing. Generally speaking, Christians are way too nice. And we need to pull a bully off the skinny guy who can't get out from underneath the bad guy. Job, I I actually preached on this passage when I introduced 
the idea of the baby box to y'all early last year. But in Job 29, he says this. He says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. So he put on righteousness like we put on clothes, right? His injustice. And then it says, I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. So Job says, I broke the fangs of the bad guy. Now, he didn't hit anyone in the face with a baseball bat. But he removed their fangs so that they couldn't hold on to their prey. Y'all get what I'm saying? I, when, I think of break, when I think of a yoke, I think of my livestock fences at our house. You know, when they're working right. <laughs> they control animals and keep them in. They restrict and limit animals. The truth is, I oppress my livestock. I call it management, but I don't let them go anywhere they want to go. <laughs> Amen? Some of you oppress your dog, right? <laughs> you know, they're animals. They're not people. We manage them. We limit them. But sometimes people treat other people like I treat my pigs. And when that happens, that's when God's people say no. That is when God's people say no. Look at verse 7. We are to provide for the needy. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Y'all, this is true fasting. This is true self-denial. I've had my business has been pretty great lately. You know, I got two or three extra grand. I made more money than I used to. I'm going to go and do this and do this and do that and do this and do that for fun. What if the Lord wants you to give that money to help someone instead? I'm not saying it's wrong to spend money on yourself. Hear me say that. Sometimes that's just fine. But do you do it more than you should? Is your excess meant for others, but you're spending it on yourself? That's all I want to ask. Verse 7, here's the fast that God wants us to be, to share our bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into our house. Ouch! Okay, that one hurt. Uh, so when you, and, and we've done that before. We've done that in the last year. For a little bit. It hurts. It's hard. When you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh, that just means your fellow man. I, I want to ask y'all to be, a, be aware of the temptation as well-meaning Christians to just fund these projects out for others. Well, I'm not going to do this myself, but you know what? I'm going to send $500 down the road to help that organization do that. When we do this, it costs you something. It's not financial. I mean, it does a little bit. But God, God just reaches into your soul when you're the one actually doing this. He's not calling you just to give money to other people to do this, although that is a great and legitimate ministry. But part of your growth in Christ is you doing this yourself. Note that it says, your bread. Not their bread. Help them buy bread so they can give it to so-and-so who's in need. No, it says your bread. Turn to Deuteronomy 24 quickly. 
Deuteronomy 24, fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy 24, verse 17. I shared a few of these passages yesterday at the event when I had my opportunity to speak. Deuteronomy 24, 17. If someone gets a page number, would you shout it out? One eighty-four, Deuteronomy twenty-four, seventeen. Thank you, Constance. Mm-hmm. This is the law of God: You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner—that's the refugee, the foreigner—or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. All right, so. Don't pervert the justice that is due. To pervert something means to stand in the way. So don't stand in the way of justice coming to someone. Don't neglect justice. To pervert means to neglect. To pervert something means to twist it or redefine it. God is saying, don't do that to justice. And it says, do you see this, that justice is due. Justice is owed To the disadvantaged. Justice is owed to the disadvantaged. I want to tell you, there are people in our world who take verses like this and advocate for socialism. That is a misunderstanding of the text. This has nothing to do with socialism. Notice there in verse 18... You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you see the disadvantaged, put yourself in their place. We've all been there at some point, right? So, as we serve, or as you see someone in need, put yourself in their place, and don't forget where you come from. He reminded them that they were in bondage and oppressed in Egypt, and the Lord set them free. All right, look at verse 19. A blessing rests on the people who do this. Do you all want a blessing? Is your life dry? You all, I, I wanna, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. And I don't have any particular person here in mind. So, if, 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 so I, I don't have a bullseye on any of you when I say this. Sometimes I do when I say stuff. But I ain't got a bullseye on nobody here when I say this. There are Christians... That are in despair and hopelessness and feel like their life is a wreck. And the reason that their life is that way is because they are so self-consumed. God has withdrawn his blessing from them. And if they quit being so stuck on themselves, they would be free and they would have joy. Look at verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner or the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. How do you prosper? How do you experience the blessing of God? You serve others. You leave part of what you've been given for 
them. All right, turn a few pages to Deuteronomy 27, verse 19. Deuteronomy 27, verse 19. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due. Oh, look, do you see that? Pervert, again, as a verb, not as a noun. <laughs> Cursed be anyone who perverts what? Justice that is due. We saw that in Deuteronomy 24. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say amen. You all, justice is due to people. Now let me tell you, this doesn't mean justice in a court of law, although that is justice. But I've studied justice ever since George, George Floyd was murdered three years ago. I've studied justice in the Bible a lot. And it, what I'm seeing is that justice has to do with the love of neighbor. Anyone who doesn't have their basic needs met will have a hard time taking care of themselves and living their life to the full, right? What I'm seeing, particularly as I study the Old Testament and justice, is that justice, you know, you know there's people into what is termed as social justice today who would say that in order to have justice, you need to pay so-and-so a lot of money because of what happened to their great-great-grandfather in the 1800s. We know it as reparations. Reparations are wicked. It should never be happening. Okay? That's not justice. Um, justice also, it doesn't mean that you have to do everything for someone. It does, true justice from man to man, from person to person... It doesn't create dependency. Now, raise your hand if you want to, but have you ever not given to someone because you knew it would put you in a long-term situation where someone became unnecessarily dependent on you? I've been there. I've been there. It's a bottomless pit, right? And you don't want to get, you don't want to fall into that pit, and you don't want to throw your resources away. Amen? Amen. So justice is due. This does not mean that you do everything for the person who's disadvantaged. Okay, I'm telling you to serve the poor today. I'm telling you to help the oppressed. I'm telling you to be with people who are hurting. But I want to tell you this that doesn't mean you have to do everything for them. There are multiple people in here, and I've been there. We feel guilty. We feel like we should be doing things for some people, but we're scared to death of doing it because we know it's going to weigh us down and suck everything out of us. Y'all know the types of people I'm talking about. I don't believe God requires us to do that in every situation. Justice does not require us to do everything for someone. But here's what it does mean. And this is what I want y'all to do. This is what I want us to do. We need to give that disadvantaged, oppressed person a fighting chance. To make a life for themselves and to treat them the way we would like to be treated. So if someone is having a really hard time 
we intervene, we help them, we serve them, we pull the homeless person into our mouth, we give our own bread to the hungry, but we do that to meet their immediate need for a short period of time, and there is the expectation, I I believe it's right to have the expectation, that they're not going to need us forever. Now, there are some situations where someone will be dependent forever. Maybe there's a significant disability. Maybe it's whatever. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. I don't know. I mean, there are some situations where someone will need aid and support and help for long periods of time. But I believe that justice in the Bible, you know, that widow, that foreigner, they need a little bit of help to get started in this new land until they can get on their own two feet, right? That's what justice is. The man-to-man justice that God is calling us to when he mentions the foreigner or the widow or the fatherless. The eight-year-old whose daddy ran off, whose mama can't work because of the way the culture was back then. That eight-year-old needs a man and others to come in their life and to make sure his basic need, necessities for life are met and can take the role of the father Not so that eight-year-old will always be like on an eternal welfare program where he's always going to need you. No, that eight-year-old is going to grow up and become a man and then he can support himself and his mom who lost her husband, his father, way too young. That's what justice is. One of the reasons that there's so much hardship and difficulty in our nation is because the U.S. government has decided we're just going to keep sending people checks forever. They're calling that justice these days. The Democratic Party is calling for it across the board to have people on this eternal welfare system. That is not justice. That is called slavery, my friend. That is slavery. And that's not the government's job anyway. It's our job to help people like that. All right. Notice in Deuteronomy 27, 19 that a curse rests on the one who perverts justice. I want to say this. The church, I believe in the last, I don't know, five to ten generations, the church withdrew from these ministries. It is, I read a lot of history, and it is my observation that the church, the people of God, became way too inward focused, and we quit giving our bread to the hungry. The church quit serving the disadvantaged and the oppressed. And instead, we started all these building campaigns to build giant buildings that we don't really need. And that money that is going into our own programs and into our own property and into our own empire, that money was given us to be a blessing to others. So the church withdrew and Uncle Sam stepped in. Because there was legitimate need in our nation that was not being met. And now evil people are using that to enslave the masses and to brainwash them. 
and to create dependency. And here's what I want to tell you. When dependency is created, there's another slave trade. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. When dependency is created, it's a slave trade that's run in Washington and in the halls of power. Who has God called? Who has God called to care for those in need? Is us. It is us. Our rulers are enslaving the masses because we have neglected our duty. I say we, speaking generally and speaking over the last few generations. And I wanted to... Yeah, I'm, never mind. I'm not going there. Who can meet the needs of our oppressed neighbors better? People in Washington or people right down the road from the needy folks? Right? We see them. And we know them. I want to cast a vision for the future. And that's kind of what I was doing yesterday for those of you that were there. And that's the purpose of this message. I want to cast a vision for the future. Um, The word deacon in the Bible. All of us in here, we've been around church for a while. We know that word deacon. Um, It means servant. In our church constitution, we don't use the word deacon. We use the word servant. We just believe it's more clear. And in our area, the word deacon usually means someone who is a leader on a church or in the board of churches. And if you know some of the same people I do, deacons often just really treat pastors like CRAP and drive them off and are rotten to them. And they just play politics and want to be in control. So I don't really care for the word deacon much because I got baggage. And some of y'all share that baggage with me. But we have deacons here at our church. Tina oversees the the treasury. Makes sure all the T's are crosses, cross the I's are dotted. Guy and Courtney oversee cleaning of the facility. Um, they have others that serve with them and help them do, do that, but they, they're in charge of that work and they make sure it gets done. Dwight oversees facility maintenance. And those are legitimate forms of a deacon, right? Amen. But I believe if you look at the deacons in Acts chapter 6, there's a whole component, component of deacon and servant ministry that we lack here at Hope Fellowship, and I think it's generally lacking throughout the church in America. A true group of deacons, or diaconate, in the ancient church were pretty much workers sent out from the church to do this type of work on a full-time basis. Some of y'all would love to be able to do this all the time. But you can't because you've got to run a business or go to work, right? I get that. That's true, you know, and that's good. God calls you to support yourself and your family. What if, and maybe we'll get here one day, what if 
There was so much money coming into this church that somebody here could be paid 60 grand a year to oversee projects to meet these needs. And it could be their vocation. They could support their family on that. Now that would take us truly tithing instead of doing what some of us do where we just throw in the pot whatever's left over. No, that would be us saying, I made $1,000 this week, 10% of it belongs to the Lord, so I'm going to give 100 and I'm going to live off the other 900. Now, if we all did that, I tell you what, we could raise up some workers and send them out. We could do some justice. We could love some neighbor. We could break some yokes. Amen. There's yokes all over the place. Y'all know that, right? Every once in a while we trip over one. You see them. They're there. How many of us want to do more for other people? I know every one of y'all really well. We're a small group. How many of y'all really, really want to do something good in these ways, but you don't know how to move forward? If someone was there who could lead the way, how much easier would it be for you to jump in and participate with them, right? right? Maybe that person that's getting paid 60 grand a year to focus on these projects, they have teams that they lead of volunteers and you a few hours a week or so-and-so sitting on the other side of the, the, the aisle from you gets to help with that stuff a few hours a week. See, some of us, we want to help people but we need a little bit of help getting started and getting trained. Amen? Amen? You feel that. You know that. Now, now, some of us just need to take a risk and get out there and try it and do it and make a few mistakes to figure out the right way to do it. Okay? Some of you could be doing more than what you're doing. And I want to call you to it. I want to call you to a true fast to deny yourself so that you can share your breakfast casserole or your meringue or your granola bar with someone else a bit more often. And I'm not picking on the three of you. Those meringues came from my house. I'm not picking on the three of you who, who brought those things when I say that. Um, deacons are servants. This passage is a call for all of us to do all of these things. But I want to tell you that in the future, I want to see people who are ordained as deacons in the church to lead the way in these projects in our community. And what's going to happen when we do that? What is going to happen if we do that? Did y'all read the rest of the passage? A lot of good stuff, right? A lot of good stuff, right? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to finish this message next week. I'm going to finish this message next week. There's too much for me to try to squeeze in today. I don't want to do it. But I want to conclude with this. You know, we were enslaved to sin. Jesus broke the yoke of sin over us, right? Because sin was our master. 
and our Savior set us free. That's a spiritual freedom. That's a spiritual transaction, right? That's something that happened inside of you. If I don't know two people, I can't look at them and see what's inside and see that one person is free and the other one isn't. Right? It takes time to see and to know who's free and who's not. But here's what I know. Everything that God does on the inside, all the good work that he's done in you, he wants it to come out. Y'all know this. He wants it to come out. If God has set you free from the power of sin, then certainly we can work together to end the slave trade that's going on in our world today. Do you see the sign of freedom? I didn't. I had plans too, and we had to change our plans. That stuff's real. It may even be happening in our county. So you might be able to get to pull someone's fang out that actually lives down the road from you. But this spiritual work of salvation, this freedom, this power that resides within us, It's not just to improve your life or to help you, you know, grow up and be more responsible. No. It's to be a spring of water that wells up in you and overflows to others. See, God sets us free and his purpose is, I say his purpose, this is not exclusive, there's many. One of the purposes of our freedom is for us to bring freedom to the rest of the world. I believe that is spiritual freedom that we are to bring, but I also believe it's freedom that can be viewed with your own eyeballs. There's bullies all over our world that are taking advantage of someone and just, you know, making their life a living you-know-what. And God is calling us to serve those who are disadvantaged. So next week, we're going to look at the blessings that come when we participate in this ministry. Not sure which passage we'll discuss, but I will let you know. Let's go to our Lord in prayer.